Well, here's an uncomfortable question, and at one, it's one that ties back really well to Winston's talk over the communion table. So thank you, Winston. We didn't coordinate. Deep down, in our heart of hearts, who do we think does not deserve the gospel? Who is it? What type of person do we believe is not worthy of salvation? It's confronting to think about, isn't it? But as long as we're human, as long as we are sinners, there are going to be people or groups of people who we come across that we each deep down want to keep out. Or at the very least, we think don't deserve to be allowed in. Perhaps this will bring it a little close to home. What sort of person, if they were to walk in those front doors and sit down next to you or me, would make us want to get up and move? What kind of person would make us so uncomfortable by their presence in a place of worship that we'd want to avoid speaking to them once the service is over and that we'd hope would not come back to church again next week? Would it be the girl from the strip club or the brothel? Would it be the guy who frequents the strip club or the brothel? Would it be the kid from the local gang who goes around breaking into houses and stealing cars? The drug addict or the alcoholic? The person who's done extensive jail time? Someone who is obviously homeless and unwashed? The mentally ill or disabled? Maybe the one wearing the Pride T-shirt. The one who champions progressive political agendas. The one whose skin colour is different to yours or who dresses in cultural clothing or who comes from a race that you may have deep-seated prejudice against. We can all be guilty of treating church a bit like a social club sometimes, We prefer to be around people that we like, who are more or less similar to us, who don't challenge our comfort zones, who we don't have to go to any great lengths to reach out to or to care for or to understand. We like church to be uniform, according to our own tastes and preferences, filled with comfortable, predictable people and comfortable, predictable elements of worship. But there's nothing comfortable or predictable about the gospel. And as followers of Jesus, we're not called to a comfortable or predictable life. Being labourers in God's kingdom, being messengers of the gospel, is not and never will be comfortable or predictable. Because the gospel transcends barriers that we humans, by ourselves, have no desire to cross. Our God is Lord of all. Jesus died for all. Salvation is for all who would believe. Every barrier broken down through faith in our Saviour Jesus Christ, whose life, death and resurrection has achieved the impossible. Reconciliation of the sinner to God and the bringing together of all who believe. All who believe as brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the living God. And this is what we've seen in Acts 8 so far. We've seen the Samaritans, 
the hated ones brought in by the gospel of Jesus. We've seen a sorcerer, a superstitious pagan man, brought in by the gospel of Jesus. And now we see a Gentile outcast, someone who is irrevocably impure, brought in by the gospel of Jesus. <coughs> Our passage this morning shows the absolute triumph of Jesus Christ over every barrier that divides. And yet it starts with quite a tragic scene. In verse 27, we meet an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone up to the temple uh, in Jerusalem to worship and was now on his way back home, seated in his chariot on the desert road that headed south, reading the scroll of Isaiah. Here's a man from the region known as Cush in the Old Testament, someone who somehow had come to know and love the God of the Israelites. In fact, this God-fearing man had made a journey of over 2,000 kilometres from his hometown up to Jerusalem to worship. Here is someone who is serious about his faith. A 4,000 kilometre round trip in the desert in a chariot is no mean feat. And you know, it was, it was important enough for him to travel to Jerusalem, the assembly place of God's people, and the very heart of old covenant religion to offer his worship to God. And here he is on his way back home reading the scriptures. It's a picture of incredible devotion, incredible faith, and yet it's heartbreaking. Firstly, because this devout man who journeyed so far to worship would have found himself an outsider in Jerusalem. If all he were were a Gentile, he would have been able to approach so far toward the temple to worship and no further. And yet this man was a eunuch, a fact that Paul, uh, sorry, Luke highlights for us four times in this passage. And as a eunuch, he could never be part of the assembly of God's people. He could never be part of temple worship. This is the old covenant law that we read in Deuteronomy 23. No one who has been emasculated may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now this might seem pretty harsh to us, but this is the law of our God, our God of radiant holiness Absolute purity, whose presence is like a consuming fire, a God to be feared, a God to be revered, a God to be taken seriously. Nothing impure, nothing blemished was to draw near to his presence. So radically holy is he. And so this devout Ethiopian had made a trip that would have been both the the high point of his life as a God-fearer, but also one of deep sadness because there was nothing that he could do, no amount of sacrifices he could offer, nothing within the old covenant law that would cleanse him of his physical defect and allow him to join the assembly of God's people. He would always be impure. He would always be an outsider. 
in our modern terms, he would always be somebody that we wouldn't want to sit next to in church. That's the first heartbreaking thing about this passage. And the second is this. As he went away from Jerusalem, the home of the temple, the priests, the assembly point of God's people, the the place that you would go to find knowledge of God, as he travels away, reading the scroll of Isaiah, he remarks of it, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? Tim Shepard says this, What an indictment on Jerusalem that he should be leaving, even with the scriptures open in his hand, yet nothing but questions in his head. For all of his devout worship, for all of his careful obedience, he is no better off than any other eunuch, excluded from the gathering of God's people. Jesus had said, do not hinder them, but Jerusalem had been no benefit to the Ethiopian. Old Testament religion everything that Jerusalem symbolised, it couldn't do the gathering that was needed. People like the eunuch were still excluded. Luke is giving us a vivid picture of the failing of Jerusalem and everything that it stood for to gather the outcasts in. It's sadly fitting that this man is travelling home on the desert road a kind of poetic symbolism for the spiritual wilderness that he inhabits despite his devotion to God. There are echoes of Romans 8 here. The law was powerless to help the eunuch. Under the old covenant, he could never be brought in. And that's the tragedy of our passage. However, what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son. And here is the triumph. God meets the eunuch on that desert road and his life is changed forever. See, our God is in the business of bringing the outcast in, of breaking down every barrier that divides through the gospel of Jesus. He is behind the powerful and unstoppable advance of his kingdom, as we see in this passage. From verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? Who brought Philip down to the desert road heading south? God did. Who spoke to Philip and told him to go up to that Ethiopian's chariot? God did. Who arranged this quite remarkable coincidence that at the very moment Philip approached the chariot, the Ethiopian should be reading from Isaiah 53? God did. It's amazing, isn't it? As he'd read through Isaiah, he'd just gotten to the part that explains how the nations... Even eunuchs from places like Ethiopia would be brought into God's rich blessing 
by the death of his servant. And just at that moment where he's wondering who this servant is, Philip approaches his chariot bearing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is utterly remarkable timing, isn't it? Are we not meant to conclude that God himself is in absolute control of the unstoppable advance of his good news? On the broad scale, he promised it. We see it time and again through scripture. And on the micro scale, on that individual scale, he is absolutely committed to it. Philip made himself available to be used by God, but it was God who orchestrated the entire event. How God is committed to bringing the gospel to the nations. He is committed to bringing the outcast in. It's his work, and no human powers will be able to stop it. And we see that Jesus and his death and his resurrection are at the very centre of it, At the very moment that Philip pulls up next to the chariot, the Ethiopian reads aloud these words from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. In Jerusalem, the Ethiopian would have seen many animals sacrificed. The purpose of the sacrificial animal was symbolically to carry God's judgment in our place so that we could have access to an open relationship with God without fear of his anger or just judgment. No animal, however, could satisfactorily carry God's judgment at our sinful hearts. The sacrificial system was symbolic, a mere picture of substitution for sin. But the prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when a servant of God would come, fully human, fully divine, a servant who would live a perfect life, submit absolutely to the will of God, willingly go to the place of sacrifice, carrying God's just judgment at our human sin, to open the way for all to come in. And we can almost feel the the weight, the urgency in the Ethiopian's question in verse 34. Please tell me, who is the prophet speaking about? Who is the one who has opened the way for even people like me, the outcast, the impure, the one whom religious folk would reject and treat like dirt? to come into God's family. And Philip is ready with his answer. He opens his mouth and he speaks of Jesus. Jesus who willingly, selflessly, humbly and obediently went to Jerusalem, who died sacrificially, the perfect substitute for the sins of all humanity. Jesus, who achieved what thousands of sacrifices over the centuries had failed to achieve, carrying God's just judgment for our sin and paying the price once and for all that everyone who believes in him may come before God, clothed in his righteousness, finally and forever welcomed in. 
Jesus Christ then has done everything that the temple and the sacrificial system pointed to. He made a way back to God. Who then can describe his descendants, Isaiah says. The result of this servant's death and resurrection and vindication by God is that he has been made the head of a vast number of men and women belonging to the Father. Who can number the vast crowd of the servant's descendants gathered from the ends of the earth? They're like the stars in the sky, like the the dust in the outback, like the sand on the seashore. They can never be counted. This is the triumph of Christ, God's perfect servant. And this is the triumph of our passage, the outcast brought in. And the Ethiopian's joy is infectious. In verse 36, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptised? I've been brought in by Jesus. Let me be baptised right now so that the world may know I belong to him. And then in verse 39, he goes on his way rejoicing. A man forever changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The outcast brought in, once spurned by religious men, now welcomed with open arms by the Saviour who died to cleanse and restore him. The Ethiopian heard the gospel preached. He accepted it and was given an everlasting place in the family of God. And as he continued down that desert road in his chariot, he would have come to this in Isaiah 56. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain And give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch will forever be a witness to the radical, barrier-breaking, life-changing power of the gospel... And to our amazing God, who is in the business of drawing the outcast in. I think the question for us remains, are we willing, are we available to be used by God, to be workers in his kingdom, proclaiming the gospel, opening our arms to the outsider and bringing the outcast in? Are we willing to open our hearts and lives, open the doors to this place, to reach out and welcome all manner of people in, that they may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed? Are we willing, are we labouring as the Lord guides us, that our community of faith may become a, a microcosm, if you like, of what heaven will be, 
people of every nation, tribe, tongue, every social class, every financial class, every family background, every political persuasion, every gender, every sexuality, every life journey, those openly messy and those only messy behind heavily guarded veneers of perfection. All of us sinners. All of us deserving condemnation, yet all rejoicing in the grace and mercy and forgiveness that we have found at the cross of our Saviour Jesus. May we be a people willing to step out in faith, just as Philip did, to feel uncomfortable, to to be refined as a community of believers that the good news of Jesus might shine forth in this town, that lives might be touched by the gospel of power and that the outcast might find an eternal home, an everlasting name and joy forever in the family of our God. Amen.